Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. This is a day that you have made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. And God, for many, if not most of us, that's really, really hard. Trying to sort through the complications of our world and the fear and the anxiety and unrest that seems to be all around us. And Lord, I am convinced. I am convinced. I don't know how many folks listening are convinced, but I am convinced in this moment, God, that the song we just sang is is our hope, Lord, that it's you and your love and your plan that defends us. And Lord, that proclamation, you're our portion and our salvation. No, Jesus says we're going to see evidence again today, God, that the way by which people discover that you're their portion and their salvation is always a work of your spirit. Lord, there's nothing in us that can just uh, remove all the skepticism Remove all the anxiety. We are, do not have it in ourselves to be able to do that, but your Spirit does. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please have your way? That's for those of us who are 100% confident and certain of who you are, Jesus. Would Holy Spirit, would you come and firm up that confidence and firm up our confidence in you and your plan for your people? And God, that's also for all of us here who just aren't so certain. Just could use some real clarity. Use some real understanding about who you are, Jesus. And Lord, the only way that happens is if your spirit does it. So Holy Spirit, would you please, please, please have your way. And God, I am convinced that because we are praying right this second for that, God, that something different is going to happen for us in this moment. As we sit in our living rooms, office chairs, uh, looking behind our phone or on a TV screen or computer screen. Something different is about to happen for us and our families because we have asked your spirit to come in and invade our lives. Then what have happened if we didn't pray this? So God, I am so confident in this moment that you're either going to do this miraculous, supernatural, evidentiary thing right now in our lives because we've asked for it, God. Or you're going to do something even greater. God, you're going to do something that we would ask for if we could see and know all the things that you see and know. And so, God, we are confident. I'm confident that your word never returns void. And so, would you give us in these moments a supernatural attention span and a supernatural ability to kind of receive your words and not just be hearers of your words, Jesus, as you taught, and, but doers of those words. So, Jesus, would you do that now? And God, for the skeptics right now, would you just spirit, would you just kind of soften our hearts? Make them malleable for you to be able to do what only you can do in these moments. And So God, would we all, all of us, be open to the idea that you are good and you're loving and you are gracious and you are kind and you are still Lord and sovereign and have a plan and you are king of all and ruler of all for now and to forever. Would we be open to that? I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, so glad to be with you all. And if you're brand new with us, uh, haven't been here in a few weeks, we started a, a new series called the uh, Gospel of Luke or Luke's Gospel. And um, so if you 
just now tuning in, you can go back, listen online or on demand. But if you're here for the first time and don't have time to do that, just stay with us. It's okay. We'll, we'll catch you up to speed. And so here's kind of the, the big premise. If, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, the, the Bible, the Holy Bible, most uh, sold book in the uh, in history of the world and the most stolen book in the history of the world, the Bible, it's kind of got two distinct parts. You've got Old Testament, you've got New Testament. And the Old Testament just tells us the story of... Uh, humankind, right? How, how we got here, but not just the how or the what, but the why, that God so loved us that he created us to be in relationship with him. We were welcomed at the table with him. We were in the garden with him, and it says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the night. So it tells the story of God in his infinite love, right? Decides to pour out that love on an object, a humans, us. And so God creates human beings. That's what it tells us in the beginning of in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And yet, real quick, within, you know, just a few chapters, few verses, we see the, the great problem that we're all facing, right? And that's ourselves, right? The reality is maybe, maybe you get this and maybe you'd be uh, courageous enough to admit it. That our greatest problem, my greatest problem is not someone with a different political ideology, someone with a different color skin, someone with a different nationality, ethnicity, culture, right? That uh, my boss, right? My, uh, our customers, whatever those are, that's not our biggest problem. If we were to be really honest, really courageous, not your ex, not your in-laws, not your wayward children, our biggest problem, your biggest problem, my biggest problem, it's ourselves, right? The hardest person to actually lead is yourself. And so we see that real early on in the scriptures that Adam and Eve, those are the first humans who, uh, who come into this world, into this planet. They are given the option of trusting God fully. Maybe you'd say even blindly, right? Trusting God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, or deciding to trust themselves, right? And so they have this option of choosing God's plan or their plan, which is the same option that all of us are facing. And what they do, what we do, what everyone does, is we choose our own plans rather than God's, right? That's called sin in the scriptures, and as some, most of us do it consciously. We just go, God, we like our plan better than yours. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give that. We don't want to submit that. We don't want to think about that. We, we'd rather have our own way, right? And so a lot of us do it, like, you know, blatantly, overtly. But for many of us, the reality is you just don't believe that that God exists, so you couldn't really follow his plan, and just so uh, you know, by default, you choose your own plan. And so we see that in Scripture. We see that with humankind. They just choose their own plan. And what happens for them is they just wreck their own lives, wreck their own, own families, wreck their own nation. So the Old Testament shows the same story that's going on in 2020. People who keep putting their hope and stock in things that are going to fail them, right? Some of our deepest, darkest pain and depression is finally getting that thing that we thought would be the thing that would fix all the other things and then finding out that those things didn't fix any of the things, right? And so we see this within our world. We're always looking down the road, around the corner, going, that's the thing, that will be it. That's not new. The whole Old Testament tells us that story of people continuing to put their hopes in themselves, in trinkets, in their plans, in their spouses or their bosses or their political party or their nations. And so the Old Testament just shows us the story of God creating us and inviting us to the table and we go, nope, we like our plan better than yours and just the, the muck and the mire that humans have lived in. But throughout the Old Testament, there was just this whisper, this promise. And we'll look at that through, uh, today and where God in the Old Testament goes, but there will be a way where there is no way. I will make all things sad, unsad, right? I will make all things, I'll, I will bend and shape all things for your good, 
my good and his glory, right? That's what the Old Testament points to. And there's this whisper and this pointing that one day God will make a way. And so that's the whole Old Testament, this promise that one day there would be a Savior who would come, that he would be our portion and our salvation. No, that's what we just think about. So if this is brand new to you, we've already given you the kind of the punchline, the end of the story, Jesus shows up on the scene. And so the New Testament starts with four different writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who all inspired by the Holy Spirit, guided by God with his hand on the pencil, right, on the, the, the pen, uh, tell us uh, stories or biographies about Jesus' life. And so what we've been doing is going, hey, we should probably really learn about Jesus, right? If, if what Jesus says about himself, which is pretty bold and arrogant, hopefully it's true, right, is that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that you're not going to find the way, you're not going to find real life or purpose, and you're not going to know the truth unless you know Jesus, because he says he's the truth. If that's all true, then let's figure out how to figure out what real truth is. Let's figure out how to really, really learn about Jesus. And so we've got these four gospel writers, these biographers about Jesus's life. So if you want to know about Steve Jobs or, you know, Albert Einstein, you might go to Barnes and Noble or go to Amazon and buy a book by Walter Isaacson, a real good biographer who kind of presents those things, right? So these four books that we would say were written on behalf of God, inspired by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell the story of Jesus. We have these four different books. So you got Matthew and Mark, which were probably the first two written, and they're these accounts that were written by these Jewish men who would have understood Jewish history and been able to share all that Jewish history and connected that to their Jewish audiences. So one was written to uh, Jews in hopes that they'd become Christians. One, were, uh, one was written to kind of the Romans of the day, so people who understood Judaism but loved their new culture, right? So they had this Judeo, now Judeo-Christian kind of upbringing worldview. It was all around them, and yet, boy, did they like the culture they're in. And so Mark wrote a gospel kind of geared towards them. Now, the third of the writers is a guy named Luke. We decided to start studying him a couple weeks ago, and Luke, really, really neat, was a doctor— turned uh, investigative journalist, right? So he's a scientist, and he tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, that he wrote this whole biography for one reason, that we may have certainty about the things we're taught. Now, so what you learned a couple weeks ago is that uh, we introduced you to two unique people. The first one was Luke, right? Luke was a Magnum P.I. Luke, Dr. Luke, investigative journalist Luke, right? All those different things. That was Luke, and Luke would have taken, taken years, if not a decade, to go and spend a lot of time kind of gathering the story of, of who Jesus was. In fact, it tells us in the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, the introduction, preamble, prologue, whatever word you'd like to use there, that he actually compiled all this evidence, and he'd argue that it's evidence, that it's fact, uh, that, and from three different ways. The first one he, he offered was through um, written documents. So we understand that Matthew and Mark would have already been written, and so Luke would have gone in and read those documents, compiled all the stuff, and started telling this story that they, that they also shared with the facts that he was able to gather. Because Luke's gospel is the longest, 1,151 verses. And then uh, 568 of those verses are literally direct citations about Jesus' word. So Luke would have gone in and collected all the narratives, right? All the written documents. The second thing he would have done, it tells us this, that he would have gone and listened to all the eyewitnesses. So what that means, and we're going to see that today, is he would have sat down with first century people who experienced Jesus. More than likely, with pretty good confidence, we can say that Luke actually probably sat down with the mother of God. Now, we're going to see the story that he gets from that 
uh, interview. So this is much later, probably. Mary's now not Virgin Mary, not Mother Mary, probably Grandma Mary. And Luke would have gone in and uh, investigated, asked the questions, wrote them down, and captured all those things. So written documents, eyewitnesses, and third one that he tells us that he looks at was the oral traditions. All the ministers and people who would have stood up and shared this good news across the area, right across the region. Now, most of the people there couldn't read or write, and so the way by which information was distributed was an orator standing up and sharing this good news, this story. And so Luke would have gone and listened and captured all that. So he writes all those things, and the reason he writes them is because the second guy we learned about, and his name is Theophilus. Theophilus is a rich guy, probably a government official, who is really, really suspicious that maybe God is who he says he is, and Jesus was the way back to God, and Jesus was God, and Jesus made a way where there was no way, that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, and he becomes suspicious of that. Is that true? And the problem is, is if he decides to say that, he's in big trouble because he's a government official. And his job is to declare that Caesar is Lord, but you can't say Caesar is Lord and Jesus is Lord. And so he is kind of stuck in this tension of going, if this is true, it doesn't just change my life now, it changes it for all eternity. But there are going to be some adjustments in my life and maybe some persecution and pain and sorrow and anxiety that comes with that. And so Theophilus funds this research grant where he asks Luke to go and investigate all these things. So Luke's a doctor. And so, hey, Luke, would you go investigate as a physician all these miracles where dead people came back to life, like the resurrection, where maybe there was a baby born to a virgin? Hey, Luke, I'd like for you to explain that as a doctor. Can you, you write all these things so that we could have certainty. So Luke writes it so that he, uh, he, and then therefore us, may have certainty about these things. So Theophilus hires Luke, and Luke goes on this journey, right? So that's where it began, and then we saw last week the introduction of a couple of new characters. So Luke's going to tell us the story, one to help uh, uh, Theophilus know and have certainty, but also for us. And if that's the case, how does Luke start the story, which is so interesting? He decides to start it with an old man named Zechariah, okay? Zechariah was an old guy, and uh, had been praying for quite some time, hoping that at some point God would give him and his wife. Her name is Zech- uh, Elizabeth. Can't see it very well, but she is an old lady, really old. That's what Zechariah tells us about the two of them. That's what Luke comments on and tells us that, uh, that he had this heart for his people, and he's interceding for people and asking God to come through to provide a way where there's no way to bring salvation through the Messiah, right? And in this moment when Zechariah is praying on behalf of all the Jewish people that God would send the Christ— the Messiah, Emmanuel, as it says in Isaiah chapter 7, right? God with us. As he's praying this and he opens up his eyes, we saw another person show up, and this is an angel. An angel, Gabriel, shows up and tells Zechariah that his prayers have been answered and that he's going to have a son with Elizabeth. And they're going to have a son, and his name's going to be John. It means God is gracious. God is gracious, meaning God did all the work, and God's going to point to a Savior through this. And what we find out is uh, Zechariah is a little bit skeptical and looking for some more certainty and going, hey, hey, I'm going to need you to explain to me how this is going to be true. Like, just real suspicious of it. And so what happens in that moment is Gabriel says, nope, it's going to happen. But Zechariah, you need to actually pause and think about this. So we see Zechariah get put in a really long time out, nine months, 
or more where he gets to consider and think about this. So he can't talk, can't communicate, right? I mean, it says later that he's making signs and all sorts of things to try to communicate, right? And so Zechariah is kind of sitting in this moment to pause and consider this whole story, which is interesting because this is our story, right? They had this hope that one day God would make a way, that one day God would provide them with a baby, that one day God would meet them, but they had a long history of not having God meet them. And so there is some deep pain, some deep sorrow, some deep confusion happening for them. And all of a sudden, when Gabriel, one of two angels that are named in the scriptures, when Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to have a child, he can't get it. He can't fathom it. Like, literally, he's been praying for this his whole life. And God finally does it. And he's like, ah, no, that can't happen, right? Just real suspicious of what's possible for God. And so you get put in this time out. We see that Elizabeth finds out, and she is so excited, so excited. Now, she's 70, 80, whatever the age is, and she's about to have a baby. There's lots of things to be confused and disappointed in, but in that moment, she's like, God, you are so good, and you have covered my reproach, meaning no one can blame me. No one can whisper about me. You have given me my identity. Like, it's in you, and you've given me this great gift. Now, this gift, John, is not the ultimate gift. John will die. Elizabeth will die, but it points to the greatest gift, which is Jesus. And so we see it in the story that Elizabeth gets pregnant. And for five months, she's just silent and hidden. And yet inside of her is this great, great joy. That's where we left off last week. And now we're going to be in the very, very next verse. And so if you will join me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we're going to see that where this story takes off. And what we're going to see now, just to prepare you for it, is that a new character, a real person in human history. Her name is Mary, and we're going to see all sorts of neat things about her. So join me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word translation of the, the uh, Greek and the Aramaic in, in the New Testament. And here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now remember, Luke is pretty detailed. He would have, he would have gathered all the documents and all the narratives, all the written stuff, and he's going to put together this chronological story of how this takes place that Jesus shows up that we may have certainty in that. So he just first showed the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and I would argue, to, because we identify with them. We don't identify with a virgin who's about to have a baby, right? None of us have had that experience, like this, you know, immaculate conception. But we do, we do identify with Elizabeth and Zechariah, we have all sorts of hopes that have not been fulfilled. In fact, some of our greatest battles with our belief is actually what life has done to us. The pain and sorrow of godly people towards us, right? The, the hopes and prayers we've begged for the Lord, and he hasn't come through in the way that we want him to, right? Your grandmother got cancer, and she died, right? And so you have all these things that just inside of us, we just have life that's beat us down. And what we saw last week is God had not forgotten people where he was going to make a way, and he was going to do it in the perfect and right time in human history to make all this happen. He's going to do it to a guy named John the Baptist who's going to come and he's going to shout out loud, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight so that, and this is what he's going to say, all mankind can know salvation, which is found in Jesus, right? And so Mary's going to be in the story. And so what we find out now is that in the sixth month is what it says, the angel Gabriel, now Gabriel's going to come up here to Mary. So by six months, what we know, that's in the six months since this uh, Elizabeth's conception. So Elizabeth's about to enter the third trimester, right? Or maybe already entered it. And so God is preparing this messenger who's going to show up. And now we're going to see this new story. But before we get to that story, we have to understand what's going on here. As it says, 
Uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city called of Galilee named Nazareth. So this is really important. I want you to miss it. That if you were to look at uh, kind of what's going on in um, like geographical location uh, earlier, right? It's kind of south and what we'll, we'll call it like a state, Judea and, and, and the city, Jerusalem. That'd be like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? So Judea was a place. That's where Herod was ruler and reigning over the area. That was in, in Jerusalem, that's where the temple was. That's where people would make pilgrimages. That's where people would come trying to get to God, understand God, make sacrifices knowing that they were so far from God and had done, they'd chosen their own plan, sin over God's, and they were asking God to show them mercy and grace, right? So that was in Jerusalem. That was in Judea. And just north of Jerusalem was a, a, you know, another state, right, called Samaria. Now, Samaria, north of Judea, was a, a, a pagan area, right? This is where all what the, the Jews would have referred to as half-breeds, less than people. These were all these people who decided they didn't want to trust fully in the Jewish law, and so they kind of mixed and matched these different belief systems to create their own culture, their own way, and these folks hated these folks to the point where they wouldn't even go through Samaria in order to go to other parts. So just north of Samaria would be an, another state, a region called Galilee. And in Galilee, there was this little bitty town called Nazareth. And that's a little bitty tiny house, right? So to get from there to there would have taken know, at least 90 miles because they would have gone around, right? And it would have uh, taken, you know, maybe five to seven days to travel to get there. And so this... this um, this angel who had appeared first in Jerusalem is now going all the way up to Nazareth. You go, why does that matter? Well, there's some Old Testament prophecies that tell us where Jesus is going to come from. That's important. But this is really unique because God is going to show up to this little bitty, tiny virgin in Nazareth, 90 miles from the, the big area of all things that are going to happen for Christianity. And he's going to show up in this little bitty town to this little bitty girl. And he's going to change all things. So Luke is going, hey, let me tell you the story, Theophilus. What's about to happen is uh, God shows up to Gabriel in this little bitty town. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, one person says, could anything good come from Nazareth? Right? This is this tiny town, maybe one gas station. In fact, there's only one well in this area that people would have traveled and they would have had to get their water for the day and carried it back. I mean, we're not talking about now it's 80 to 100,000 people in this area in 2020, but we're talking about a dozen people, maybe up to 50 people in this tiny, little, one-horse town, right? And so what Luke is telling us is, is Gabriel is going to show up because he's been sent uh, from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, right? This isn't the big area. This isn't where the politicians are. This isn't the big kings. This is some little bitty area. Poor people, and that's where Gabriel's about to show up. Now watch this. Pay attention to this. 2A... See this? Virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You're going to see this one, one, one scripture verse, and for some reason, Luke, right? Just in case we forgot in the first part, he, it says, um, to a virgin. Okay, so Luke wants you to know that it's a virgin. It's really important. Mary is a virgin, a virgin. To a virgin uh, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And if you forgot already, the virgin, let's be clear there, its name was Mary. So two times one verse, he wants us to know that she's a virgin. That's pretty important. But one thing we have to look at real quick is Mary here, right? So there's a couple, um, 
uh, different views on marrying. If, uh, many of uh, the folks who attend our church uh, came from a Catholic background, right? And sent a shot at Catholics. Love my Catholic brothers and sisters. Love that they love and worship Jesus, right? So no, no shots there. We're a very Catholic area, Baltimore, Philly, just lots of Catholics. And um, the way that they view Mary is uh, pretty significant. Right? To the point where I would argue that many Protestants have kind of downplayed the role of Mary because uh, the Catholics kind of overplayed it, right? Like even if you, uh, you know, are, are grew up Catholic, were around Catholic, all that kind of stuff, you even know. And I'm not talking about the long football throw, the Hail Mary full of grace, right? Like this prayer that you pray to Mary so that she can somehow ask for covering for you, right? Like when you see pictures of Mary, like um, Catholic art, you know, you got this you know, late 20-something, perfect skin lady with at least one glowing thing, if not two glowing things above her head and crowns, all kind of stuff. So that's kind of the picture we have of Mary, just like this blemish-free, you know, mature, you know, calm-spirited, well-to-do, uh, you know, God person, right? Uh, which isn't kind of how, how Mary really is. So if you, uh, Mary, at this point, most scholars would put her in 12 to 14, Right? 12 to 14 years old. I got a 12-year-old. So to imagine this age that God is going to show up and, and connect with this Mary. Now, you're going to find out and probably already know that she's going to birth the, the Son of God, right? Jesus and Emmanuel. So pretty significant. And so it makes sense that we celebrate her. Now, she's not God. She's the mother of the fully man part of God, Jesus, right? And so uh, someone we celebrate and we honor her for her faith, but she is not God, but she is the one that God decides to use in this moment. But the way you got to see Mary is probably barefoot. That's not like a misogynistic statement. They, she was just poor. She was a peasant living in a little town, probably trying to still take care of the house, maybe running after her uh, little brothers and sisters, right? She'd be making the trek every day to, you know, get the water. She'd be collecting wood to heat the house and the home. And this is Mary, this little girl, Mary, right? Running around barefoot, probably dirty, you know, little beat up, skin up knees. I mean, just this 12-year-old girl that Gabriel— the angel is going to show up to her. So you got to see this, like God's vulnerability and his plan of entrusting some, some strange and unusual characters and all this. So Gabriel's going to show up to Mary, and she's a, remember this, virgin. It also says betrothed. That's a pretty significant thing. It's like um, engagement and very common in their culture that more than likely Mary and Joseph would have showed, lived in the same, you know, little bitty village. Not many people there. 50, right? 15, 50. So there's not a lot of people there. Maybe they grew up in, the, you know, and hanging out together. Their families probably were close. And so they would have been young. Joseph, potentially a couple years older than Mary, but they had been young and they would have made this moment that the family would have all decided that Mary would marry Joseph. There'd be some kind of ceremony, right? Some kind of, uh, usually if the families are wealthy, which we know they weren't, uh, we see that when they go to the, um, to make a sacrifice in the temple, they literally have to give a, a bird because they can't afford like a, you know, a, a sheep or a lamb or a goat or any of those things. And so they would have been poor. So in a, in a, a more wealthy family, there would have been this big party that was thrown after the betrothal period. So basically Joseph goes, I want to be a man. I want to take care of a wife. I want to build on to my dad's compound. I want to do all this. We're going to have a family. And there would have been this nice little 
ceremony, probably with some kind of priest or rabbi who would have, you know, read a couple of verses from the Old Testament, maybe Song of Solomon, maybe some from the Psalm, whatever it is, and they would have made this declaration that these two are going to become one, right? And, but not yet, not until Joseph can afford it, can build on the house. And so there had been this kind of conversation, this engagement moment, this betrothal, and then Joseph would have gone to get to work to start building on to the compound. When it was built, when it was ready, he could then come back to Mary and they could get married and start their family, right? And so this is kind of that interim period, very significant, right? This is, this is, this is kind of viewed as law and commitment. So this is as important in terms of commitment as a marriage, just prior to the consummation or any of those kind of things, right? And so we find them, man named J- Joseph, and now it also tells us he is from the house of David, me- meaning that Luke is setting this up, going, you've got to hear this, I know you're not Jewish, Theophilus, but you've got to hear this. This has been the plan from the beginning of time, right? This has been the plan. And so he is going to use Joseph's lineage from the house of David, meaning Jesus is going to come through this pedigree that was always promised that through David's offsprings, 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 right? Keep, keep following that. We know for sure Joseph comes from that offspring, Luke tells us. We're pretty confident Mary does as well from that lineage. And so we see that happen here. And so we make this big statement. So Luke is going, you got to hear this. Gabriel went to this little bitty tiny town, appeared to this little bitty tiny virgin, and made this, uh, he's going to make this proclamation to her. And she's connected to Joseph. They're connected to Israel and God's plan from the beginning of time, the promise always to set up the scene. And here's what it says next in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, okay? So Mary is there, angel shows up, and he shows up, and he says, greetings, O favored one. That word favor there is kind of the same root word for charis, which is, you know, the Greek word for grace. So this is really important to see because um, religion, even Jewish religion, was this broken belief system that you could do enough right things and enough right times and enough right ways, then God would eventually welcome you back right? But it was about your performance. It was about your penance. It was about those things. But if you did enough right, you could counteract the wrongs and that God would welcome you back in. So there was this belief that you had to earn God's favor. But the word used here is not earn God's favor. It says it was bestowed, given upon. It was God's complete grace. So what we know here is that this angel shows up and tells Mary that God is going to extend grace to you, which is the only way by which we can get reconciled to God, right? Religion is man's attempt to either get to God or become God by our own behavior, by our own plans, by our own, you know, um, resilience or grit, Christianity is different. It's God's grace to us through Jesus. And so this angel shows up and goes, God sees you as gracious and favored. Now, Mary would have been taken aback, but she would have also uh, known the scriptures. And she would have, so she would have understood that angels are real and they do make uh, appearances. Now, it's been a long time since one happened, but Mary would have been familiar with Yahweh, the God, and the way that he um, intersects and talks to people. So she's going to hear this, and we're going to kind of get her perspective. Now, remember this. This is what's really, really neat, is we believe that Luke sat down, according to the scriptures, with all sorts of eyewitnesses, and so there's a real possibility, real possibility, great likelihood, that Luke would have gone in and sat down with Jesus' mom, maybe towards the end of her life, and he would have asked her about these things. So when we get this 
insight. This is from a guy who did the hard work of going, hey, I want you to be certain of this. And so she's, he's going to go, ha, ah, so this angel showed up and says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she would have been like, and Luke would have been like, well, what was that like? What was that like? And then, it's pretty neat. He tells us what it was like. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, hey, Mary, good, good, good. Okay, angel shows up, got it there. So what are you thinking here? And she's going, I was really overwhelmed. Like, says favored one, that's really, really nice. But does that mean I, he's just going to beam me up to heaven? Like, I haven't had a life. I haven't married Joseph. Like, is that what, what's going on here? Like, this, you know, this angel, Gabriel, showed up and started talking to me. And so what was that like, Mary? Oh, uh, uh, honestly, I was pretty troubled at the saying. And I remember trying to, trying to figure out, okay, what does he mean by this? What does he— what does he mean by the favored one? And then you see this, really, really important. He said that he's the favored one, and the Lord is with us. Now remember, Luke is writing this story, helping us try to piece the pieces together, right? And so she's like, I've heard that term, God with us. So I was trying to figure out what that means. Now this is my input into this, but I think Luke is trying to help us with this, and Mary's probably discerning this. What is it? Wait, I've heard. I've heard about God saying he'd be with us. So he's saying God's with us, but but I remember, and uh, Mary would have known, Luke definitely knows, and you can see this in his writing here, about this prophecy that happened 300 or 700 years earlier. So there was this moment in history, 700 years earlier, where people were wondering if God loved them, had a plan, and God would send prophets to declare God's plan. They're going, has God forgotten us, right? Like Zechariah, is God ever going to provide for us? Like Elizabeth, is God ever going to give us a child, provide us with provision? And so 700 years earlier, there's a prophet named Isaiah who was telling people that God would come and God would show up. And they're going, well, how? How will it be? How will it be? And God goes, let me give you a sign. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he said this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Want to know the sign? Behold, the, you hear this? Virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh-oh, going to have a baby. It's going to be a son. And shall call his name, you ready for this? Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. So Luke is setting it up. Remember, Luke is brilliant. He's putting together all the pieces. He's thought through the whole thing. Holy Spirit has led him to this. So he's going, let me start by telling you guys, Theophilus, and all you people in CLC in 2020, right, that there is this, this virgin that Gabriel showed up. Now, this isn't the first time a virgin was mentioned. I've brought up the word a couple of times now. But in Isaiah chapter 7, this, uh, this prophet said that you will know that God is going to bring a Savior because he's going to bring her, bring him, get this, through this craziest circumstance, through a virgin where God's the Father, right? And he's going to have a name called Emmanuel. Why? Because God is with us. So, hey Mary, you're starting to hear these pieces and you hear that you're highly favored one and God, go, and, and, and Gabriel says, because the Lord is with you. She's going, I've heard that God is with us before. Oh, that's Emmanuel. Wait, what's going on here? So she doesn't understand the whole thing, but she's uh, starting to put the pieces together. Luke's trying to help us put the pieces together. So he's, he's leaking this information out, right? He's dripping this idea of virgin. He's dripping these words. The Lord is with us. So yeah, okay, Mary, we understand that you uh, were troubled and tried to figure out what he was saying. So let's continue. Verse 30. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid. So, so I was trying to figure it out, Luke, and the angel showed up, and, but the angel said, don't be afraid. For you have found favor 
Oh, there it is again. That word's grace, meaning God's gave her a good gift. Hey, don't be afraid. This is God's gift to you. Hey, hey, don't be afraid. God's gift to you. With God. Oh, there's that term, with God again. So she's starting to put it together and go, okay, there's this with God peace, okay? Isaiah 7 talks about being with God, virgin, and she uh, would have been aware at this point, maybe Theophilus isn't. Luke is definitely aware because he would have been reading through the Gospels, reading through the Old Testament. Mary would have, I don't know if she's putting these pieces together. He's probably talking about it later going, hey, did you see this in this point? But uh, in Jewish culture, they would have understand that God was going to be gracious, right? I told you in the beginning that God created Adam and Eve, and then they chose a plan over God's plan, right? That's called sin and what it did was disconnect from them from God, right? And so there's this, this whisper from the enemy saying, God will never love you. He doesn't, he, he's abandoned you. And like, we believe it, right? God is not available to us. He's distant from us. We, we have those same kind of beliefs and concerns that Adam and Eve would have had. And so the story of the Old Testament is uh, basically the serpent, the evil one, Satan, shows up and says, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would give you all things. But he knows that if you have all things, particularly the thing he said not to mess with, the, the piece of fruit on the tree, if you eat it, you'll, your eyes will be open and all those kind of things, right? And so they go, hey, we want to be like God. How dare God tell us how to live our lives? We'll do our own thing. And they eat the fruit. And just to help you understand, God wasn't surprised by that. He wasn't evil and terrible by putting the fruit there. The, he always knew they were going to eat it because he always knew they needed a Savior. So from the very beginning, the point of the fruit was to show us how much we couldn't, that we would wreck our lives without God. And so when they eat that fruit, their eyes are open and they realize they are not like God. They realize that they are broken and flawed and it says they realized they were naked and they felt shame just felt shame and so God from that point was going to start promising that there'd be a savior so the point of the fruit was the point to the savior that we all needed a savior right 2020 we look at our world and go we really need a savior so the point of all those circumstances then and they were to point to our need for a savior and then in Genesis chapter 3 when God shows up and and has this kind of rebuke for both Adam and Eve and the serpent he's going to he's going to be great them. He's going to cover their shame with real clothes. He's going to offer them kind of the consequences of these decisions, but he's going to point to something that says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Mary would have known this, and it would have said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So he's talking to the evil one, going, hey, you think you won by leading them astray. I will actually put enmity there. I will, I will, I will put this battle, and I will put this divide, and I'll put this protection there, right? And her offspring, and then he says this. He uses the word he, so he says, between your offspring and her offspring. So in that beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, he's going to whisper that there's going to be a solution. It's going to come through offspring, through a child. And then God's going to talk about that child. In verse 15, it continues, and it says, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, meaning he's talking to the enemy. This child will defeat you. He'll destroy you. He will knock you out. And all you're going to be able to do is bruise his heel, is what it says. So um, Mary would have known about God's grace. She would have known that there was a, a, a plan and hope for the future. This is what we call in Genesis chapter 3, verse in the proto-evangelium, or proto-evangelium is the first picture of the coming Messiah, the Christ promised from the very beginning. So Mary would have known that God eventually was going to be gracious and favorable, and he was going to make a way through Jesus for all people, right? And so Mary maybe is starting to put these pieces together. So Luke's kind of asking her the questions, writing it all down, helping. Theophilus helping us know and then it says this do not be afraid Mary you have found favor with God okay favor grace what does that mean and now here's where it is you ready for this verse 31 and behold pay attention right you will conceive in your womb right offspring and through your offspring through this promise and bear a son 
and you shall call his name Jesus. Really important. So Mary's getting the story, and she's going, so are you afraid? He says not to be afraid, but I'm still trying to figure it out, and he starts sharing the stuff with you. What does he share, Mary? Well, he says that, um, that I am going to conceive in my womb, like I'm a child, I'm 12, 13 years old, not married. I'm going to have a baby, and it's going to be a boy. Now, I've heard about that. You know, 700 years earlier, uh, Isaiah would have promised it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 would have pointed to this. And all of a sudden, all of this happened in this little big town in Nazareth. This angel is saying this to Mary, and he, she's going, he said I was going to have a kid. He said I was going to have a kid. And then it says this, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's the Greek for the, uh, the Hebrew, which is Yeshua, Joshua, right? which means a savior. So he literally is going, you're going to have a baby and you're going to call him savior. You know why? Because I gave him the name savior because he is going to be your portion and your salvation. He is going to be the one who's going to save all things. He is a savior. So what's about to happen here? Really, really important. I want you to grab your Bible. Make sure you pay attention to these words. Remember, Luke is so intentional about all these words. No, he's about to help Mary, right? This Gabriel is about to help Mary not feel anxiety about this. And the way by which he's going to calm her spirit is to tell her all the things about Jesus that she needs to know. So Luke is going to capture this going, you want to be certain of Jesus, right? That's his goal, that you may have certainty about the things you're taught. Let me tell you why you should believe in Jesus and what makes him so special. So before Jesus even shows up on the scene, before he even is on this planet or conceived in the womb, this angel is going to give us some beautiful doctrine, some beautiful understanding of who Jesus is. So I just want to cover that for you. The first thing is this. You ready? You can write this down, put one, however you want to do this. He's the Savior. See that? Because he says, he will be named Jesus. That literally means Savior. Second thing you can see here is he's always been the plan. Right? He's always been the plan, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3 and Isaiah. So the reason I talk about the fruit and that not being, you know, God being mean or, huh, nana, nana, boo, boo, can't get this, right? This is God going. The sooner you understand you need a Savior, and the sooner you understand that you are not a Savior, no other human's a Savior, the better off you're going to be. The sooner you can put your trust in Jesus. So he was always the plan. In Genesis chapter 3, God's going, here's the plan. It's my son. It's Jesus. He is, he is going to make a way where there's no way. Right? He's going to live the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died. In Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years before Jesus shows up, right? He's going to again declare this stuff. He's going to go, hey, there's going to be a baby, always the plan. And the reason you know this uh, is, is my son, my savior, Emmanuel, that he's going to be God with you, is he's going to be born from a virgin. And so all of a sudden this shows up and you go, this is, he's a savior, Mary. And this has always been the plan. And watch this. And it says, you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. First thing you got to understand, or the third thing you got to understand about Jesus is that he is actually, he was fully man. Right? So we see this picture and there's this great theological term called hypostatic union that he somehow has the ability to be fully man and fully God. And the first thing we see here is he's, he's literally going to be fully man. Like he's going to come out of a womb. He's going to have to wear diapers. Right? He's, he's going to cry and be hungry. And he's going to grow up and he's going to be persecuted. And this is so unbelievable that this is the only scripture, this is the, this is the only worldview that God, the powerful God, kind of shrinks himself down into this human form so that we could see him and see his love. And that he could say, hey, yeah, I understand what it's like to be persecuted. I understand what it's like to be hungry. I understand what it's like to be sad. And so this is so important that in this, what we see in just this one verse, it's going to start calming Mary's spirit is this one. His is, he is the Savior. Two, this has always been the plan. Three, he is literally going to be born in the flesh. He is fully man. 
He's going to understand your earthly struggle. He's going to understand all those things. He's going to understand the complications of COVID and pandemics and fear and death and sorrow. He's going to understand all those things. So that's the first thing we see here with Mary. And then verse 32, he's going to continue. So this is still Gabriel quoting. Luke is writing it down. He will be great. Hear that? And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So here's some more things that you've got to know about this Savior. The first thing is he is the Savior. Second thing you got to know, he's always a plan. Third is that he's fully man. So crazy. Came in in human flesh, right? To show us how much he loved us. To walk amongst us, right? To be incarnational is the word so that we could see him and touch him and feel him and hear him and experience him and his grace and his love and his mercy, right? And the fourth thing we see here is he's also fully God. It says he's the son of the Most High. So not only is he fully man, he is not like us. He is still fully God. He is the son of the most high God, and he is great. So we see this. Hey, Mary, here's what's going to happen. He's going to be fully man. You're going to be here, but don't worry. He's also God's son. God's going to protect him. Wait, Mary, here's something else you can know. See it here. He is the sovereign Lord and king of all, right? He is called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Remember this promise that he it would come to the line of David. What I need you to see here is this little baby is also going to be the king. So don't worry, Mary. You can't mess it up. Hear me, guys. You can't mess up Jesus, right? He is going to be fully God. No, he's fully man, but he's also fully God, meaning he is God's son, which is really good news because only God can make the way where there is no way, right? So he's God's son. And guess what? He is in charge. He is in charge. He is sovereign Lord and king of all. He has all the power all the authority, right, and all these kind of things, and she'd be like, what? And, but she would have thought about David, and uh, early on, before David becomes king, there's this moment of anointing where he goes, or this moment of appointing where he goes, this is going to be the king, and then David still goes back out in the field as a shepherd boy, right, and then eventually he becomes king, so she's going, hey, hey, he's going to be king, no, he's going to show up in the form of a baby the way that David was this little bitty, you know, child that, that, that Samuel was declaring is going to be king. That's going to happen, but he's going to be sovereign Lord of all and king of all. He's going to have all the power, all the authority, right? So first, he's Savior. Second, he's always been the plan. Third, he's fully man. Fourth, he's fully God. Fifth, he's fully sovereign, fully capable, fully powerful, and also the king. He is in charge. Got that? Now, here's the sixth one that says this, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so when you see this talking about David and Jacob, uh, if you read back through Isaiah chapter 7, you're going to see more of these prophecies of going, this is how you'll know it's going to be the Messiah. And so Luke is going, let me explain to this. 700 years later that God is bending and shaping all this and he's going to be from the line of David. He's going to be over the, the nation of Israel. That's what we're talking about. Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons formed these 12 tribes which became the, name, uh, the nation of Israel. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel because he wrestled and fought with God and, you know, was skeptical and cynical and yet submissive and all those things. And he says, he will reign in the house of Jacob forever. You hear that? Forever. Sixth thing you've got to see here. He's eternal. Forever. So Mary's starting to hear these things. And so uh, Gabriel's saying this and going, hey, here's how you can trust him because he was always the plan. He's the savior. He's going to come in and explain 
experience it. He's going to be like a priest who experiences your pain, can intercede on your behalf. But he's not just like us. He's also just like God because he is God's son and he is sovereign and Lord of all and he will reign forever. And you go, oh gosh, that sounds really good. You're talking about this king who's gracious and kind and actually sacrifices himself and is selfless to make it where we could have access to God and know Jesus and be loved by Jesus. So Mary's hearing this and, and kind of thing is going, oh, Theophilus, you've you got to be excited about this. So Mary, what was like? She's like, well, I was excited probably, but I didn't want to get my hopes up, right? We've been let down so many times in so many ways. We didn't want to get our hopes up. And so you can imagine in this moment, Mary's like, oh, I'm just not so sure. What does it mean? And so Mary goes, okay, I believe that. I believe that he's sovereign. I believe he's the Savior. I believe he's the Messiah. I got all those things. You give me this vision. You promised it in Isaiah chapter 7. You promised it in Genesis chapter 3. I've known this. I can't believe it's me. I can't believe it's Nazareth, but okay, okay, okay. God, if this is your plan, here you are, Gabriel. You're saying it. I will try to be certain, but I have one more question. Verse 34, and it says this, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin, get this, this isn't, how can this be? I don't believe it. You sure about that? Like the way that Zechariah does it. This goes, how will this be? This is, this is what that looks like. M Mary has bought the vision and mission, right? Okay, Savior comes to save the world. The mission is he's going to come and live amongst his people, right? I get that. Now, I get mission and vision. I'm not so sure about the strategy. I can't quite see the strategy. Not, that means I'm not committed. I'm fully committed. I see what you're doing here, God. I understand that this is the Savior. He was always the plan. He is Savior and Lord and King. He's going to be fully man. He's going to be fully God, but he's going to be sovereign and King of Lord, and he's going to be eternal. But I just can't quite see the strategy, right? Like, how, how can this be? So she's fully committed. She's going, okay, I'm all in, but hey, I'd love to know exactly how this is going to happen. How can this be, right? Luke wants you to know, wants to remind you of Isaiah chapter 7. Since I am a virgin, okay, Luke, we get it. You keep quoting the virgin thing. So she is certain about who God is, uncertain about how this is going to play out. But she's going to lean into the certainty and watch what Gabriel says. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See this? So he goes, let me tell you how this is going to work. Now, this is <laughs> still going to be confused. Mary, you're going to be really, really confused. You're going to be really confused because it's not going to make a lot of sense. But here's what's going to happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God of God. Really, really got to see this. Please see this. See this. You see this. All this that happens, this ushering, this initiation of a Savior being present with us, stepping on this earth. Us being able to see the Savior, experience the Savior, know the Savior, right? It all begins with this, the move of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's why for some of you, you're going, this is crazy. I don't get it. And just, you're like, this is silly. This is silly. I've just wasted 50 minutes of my life listening about this. And but there's others. I'm going, look, look. The Holy Spirit is right the second and saying, you can be certain of this. You can be certain of this. Like some of you, your eyes are just being open. And it's not because I'm clever or because we've put together this great talk. It's because Holy Spirit opens eyes and he initiates. So if you're going, hey, God, I'd like to know you, but it seems like you're distant. It seems like I can't trust this. It seems like I, there's something over my heart or over my eyes. I'm just kidding. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to, to initiate it? Because all this happens. Not because Mary did something great not because she was extra special. God was just gracious to her. She didn't do anything to make this happen. It was literally God himself. He initiates us. So the, the initiation of the Savior into the world and the Savior into our life always begins with the Holy Spirit. That's why all of a sudden you look back and go, hey, why didn't I ever know this before? It wasn't like people didn't teach you or talk about it. It's just all of a sudden, Holy Spirit comes in and invades and teaches you these things. So it begins with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see one more thing we see about Jesus. It says this. The Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called. You see this? 
holy. So hear this. He'll be sinless. Seventh thing you got to know about him, not only was he uh, always the plan, right? Not only was he a savior, not only was he fully man, fully God, king and sovereign over all and eternal, he was sinless. Meaning he lived the life we should have lived, meaning he is the perfect substitute for our brokenness. No, no, here's perfection. Here's the perfect atonement. Here's the perfect thing. So he is sinless. He is sinless. He can pay the ransom for you right when we talk about it here it's kind of hard now because <laughs> there's no sporting events but you know i'm a big basketball fan love to go see duke north carolina love to see that game in college and would love to sit courtside but here's the reality i can never afford it right i can never afford it there's no amount of money so either i have to be able to pay that admission price myself which is which is impossible i just don't have enough money and if i had enough money i couldn't imagine spending it on that no way right and so it's just not it's not possible for me right i can't afford it i can't earn enough i can't justify it enough so there's one of two options to get the court side the first one is i can afford it but i can't afford it so i can't pay it so therefore that's not a possibility there's only one other option you have to know someone who has access to the seats who can make it available for you right so when we look at Jesus, we go, or when we look at God, we're going, God, we need your grace. We don't have access to you. And boy, can't, we can't afford it. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good. We get that. We understand how broken we are. We can't get to you on our own. So I don't know how to pay the price because I can't, I don't even have enough. I can't do enough. I'm not perfect enough to do that. Or I got to know someone else who can and has access to you, right? That's the story of Jesus. He is perfect and sinless. And he gives us access as Savior and Lord, always the plan. and gives us access to the Son of God. Now watch this. Perfect sacrifice, perfect gift. God is gracious. And behold, pay attention. That's what that means. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Really, really beautiful. So, so uh, Luke's going, okay, Mary, tell me the story. How'd that work? How'd that happen? And, oh, gosh, could, I can imagine. That's got to be overwhelming. So how did you feel comfortable? Well, he started telling me all these things about the Savior. And I'm like, I know that Savior. I want that Savior. I need that Savior, right? But I'm like, yeah, but the virgin thing, were you kind of a little confused? And she's like, I guess I was confused. But then he, like, he brought in the, the crescendo. He brought in the last thing. And he says, guess what? Like, I can do crazy things. God can do crazy things. You see this? You're wondering how a, 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 a Savior can be born in you, how the Holy Spirit can impregnate you. You wonder those things. How about this? You think God can impregnate an 80-year-old woman? Right? Because guess what? Your aunt, your cousin, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, whom he was called, whom her, uh, with her who was called barren. So, hey, there was no way. And guess what God did there? God made a way. So Mary's going, yeah. So yeah, he kind of shared this with me, laid out who the Savior is going to be. I knew the Savior is coming. I knew he's going to be with us. I didn't know he was going to use me, but I knew I needed him. I knew the whole world needed him, and I was willing, but I just was like, I don't quite understand the strategy. Then he says, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to initiate this. You're going to do that. But then he gave me some tactile and tangible evidence. He says, go see your relative Elizabeth. In fact, what we're going to see happen is Mary is going to go and stay with Elizabeth for a while, right? This is God's grace to us. In the middle of our uncertainty, God puts people around us who have some certainty, right? When you lose your faith, you get to borrow some of mine. When I lose my faith, I get to borrow some of yours. Like that's, that's the story of the gospel, right? And so I'm going, hey, if God has done great things in your life, you got, you got to speak those. You got to share those. If you were an addict, and now you, you're in recovery. If your marriage was in shambles, and God brought like, you gotta speak this. You gotta go, these things seem impossible. So if you think your thing's impossible, you think the world's impossible, let me tell you about what God has done to me that was impossible, that he made possible, right? This is that story. 
So I told you in Genesis chapter 3, God makes this promise that there would be a Savior. In Isaiah chapter 7, he gives us a little bit more pictures of that. It'll be Emmanuel. God will be with us. That's how the Savior's going to be. And he's going to be born through a virgin. So we see that with Jesus. But then we see in the end of the, in the scriptures in Revelation that God gives John this beautiful picture of how he's going to restore us and restore the nations and bring his kingdom back on this earth. And in Revelation chapter 12, we see this demonic spiritual attack going on and we see all this weird um, illustrations and symbolism of maybe this picture of what the nation of Israel or maybe the picture of Mary birthing a baby and we're seeing the warfare and all the spiritual stuff going on and we see that Jesus shows up as savior and king and ruling and reigning and literally you see Satan get kicked in the head right and you see all these things right it's a beautiful picture of how one day it'll be right one day God will do all those things and then Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, we hear this picture of what God says about it. And this is what he said. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. So this big announcement, one of God's messengers makes this declaration that salvation has come. Salvation has come. All authority. He was, he was always the plan. And he is ruling and reigning forever has come. For the com- accuser of our brothers... That's the enemy. That's the serpent. That's Satan. Has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. The oppressor, the ruler of this world with lies and brokenness. He has been destroyed. And then it tells us very clearly how he's destroyed. You've got to hear this. And they have conquered him by what? The blood of the lamb, meaning Jesus' perfect sacrifice. He was always the perfect savior. He was always the perfect sacrifice because he was holy and sinless. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb right? So they're going, hey, Mary, he's going to be the blood of the lamb. He's going to be holy and perfect. But watch this. And by the word of their testimony. So, hey, Mary, not only is he going to be the blood of the lamb, he's going to cover you for your sins, cover all humankind for his sins. He is God here. But here's the thing. There's other people who are experiencing it too. So the way by which the enemy is defeating our life is knowing what Jesus did for us and then hearing the stories of what Jesus has, has, has done in other people's lives. So hear me. What he's saying here is you've got to see what's going on with Elizabeth. What we have to say if we're Christians is we have to declare this good news because the enemy is defeated first and foremost by the blood of the lamb. And the second thing, by the word of people's stories. Sharing these stories of what God has done. How about you fill your Facebook and social media passages with that instead? What God has done. Fill your text messages with that. What God has done. Fill your, you know, lunch times with family. With that, what God has done. The enemy's defeated. Why? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of people's testimony. Hey, go check out Elizabeth, Mary, right? And now watch Mary's response, which I certainly hope is your response. For nothing will be impossible with God. You, a virgin birth. God spoke the world into existence. A resurrection. God spoke the world into existence. Luke, this scientist investigating the virgin birth, right? This doctor going, hey, let me just quote her. She literally lived and experienced and birthed this baby. He experienced the persecution. Had to flee as a refugee. Watched her son get murdered, right? In her old age, she's still making this proclamation. This is what I said. This is what I said. This is what I was committed to for nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If not, would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you that kind of belief and that certainty? So what Luke is saying to Theophilus is you can be certain of this nothing is impossible with God. And then, okay, hear that angel, hear that angel, hear that for nothing is impossible with God. Okay, Mary, Mary, what was your response? And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. Behold, I'm the servant. Let it be according to your word. Can you get there? Can we get there and go, God, we don't understand all this. We don't understand jobs. We don't understand all this stuff, but nothing is impossible for you. And God, you're sovereign and king of all. Would I just submit and trust in your plan and follow your lead and guidance? Behold, I'm your servant. Let it be. Can you get there? Can we get there? Behold, I'm your servant. Let it be. Behold, I'm your servant. Let it be. I love that last part of the passage where in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, And they conquered them by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Watch this. For they loved not their lives, not even unto death. Right? It was, let it be. God is greater than all those things. So Mary in that moment goes, let it be. Let it be. Can we get there? Look at our world and our craziness and go, no, no, no. It's good. God is still bending and shaping. This was always his plan. And it was always to bring his son into our lives to be Savior. Can we let it be? And what's so beautiful, this idea of the blood of the Lamb and the word of people's testimony, Jesus is so brilliant. Jesus is so brilliant. Right before he dies, um, he's going to remind us that he is all, was always the plan, that he was always going to be blameless, and he was going to be the perfect sacrificial lamb. And what he's going to do, literally, he's going to share all this news with his disciples about him leaving and going and kind of activating the salvation plan, which means he's going to die, and he's telling them all those things, and they're freaking out, and he's going, no, no, no. I'm the king forever. You'll be with me. You'll be with me. And then he would have paused and they would have had a meal. And at the end of the meal, as they're working through this and it would have been painful and complicated, he would have taken a moment. He would have grabbed some bread and he's going, hey, you're not going to get this yet. But John's going to tell you about it later that the enemy's going to be defeated by the blood of the lamb, meaning I'm going to pour out myself. And so hear me, hear me, hear me. And he would have taken out the bread and he would have said, guys, look at me. Look at me. I am sinless and blameless and I was always the plan. I want you to see something. I want you to have certainty of something. When it comes, you're going to see this go, oh, I get it now. I want you to have certainty of something. He's going to give them certainty, and he's going to break that bread. And so if you have bread with you, and if you're with your family in, you know, in the living room, would you just pass it out, and everybody just take a little piece of that bread and look at it and go, this bread, this bread, this is, this is God reminding you that he broke himself for you and me. He broke, yourself for, he broke himself for you and me. Like he made himself available so that we could have certainty. He lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved to die because he didn't want that for you. Right, we see it in John, it's that gospel. He tells us, for God so, so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him, guess what? They don't, they don't perish because God's forever. You can be with him forever. But they can have eternal life. And so what he does is he gives his son, Jesus going, this is me broken for you, poured out for you and so literally he had broke the bread and Told them, consume it, consume it, invite me into your life, consume it, consume it. So right now, for the first time, maybe if you want to go, I believe this, I, don't, I want to believe this, would you just take that bread and would you consume it? So right now, would you just take it? And receive what Christ has done for you. Body broken for you, so yours doesn't have to be. Would you join me in? It's always the plan. It's fully man stepped on this planet to be crushed right? Completely. He was pierced for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we find healing. And then Jesus would have taken this wine. It's so important. Right? This is what John says, the blood of the lamb. He would have taken the wine. He said, hey guys, look, 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 stay with me, stay with me. I know this is overwhelming. I know it is. I know the world's complicated. Hear me, I'm with you. And I'm, I am, I am so, I'm going to have so much angst about what I'm feeling and all this stuff. I'm going to go to my father and I'm actually going to tell him to take this cup. But he's not going to take the cup. Because this cup of suffering, I'm going to consume it all. 
So hear me, hear me. I want you to see this wine. So he said, I want you to see this as my blood. And here's the thing, blood shed for you. Why? Because the enemy just feed about the blood of the lamb being poured out, covered, innocence covering us, writing his name on our heart for all eternity. And he's going, look, I just want you to take it. I want you to consume it. Drink it slow. Receive it all. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is my promise. It's not what you do. It's not how you perform. It is God's favor and cares and grace over you. So would you receive this? And as often as you do it, would you do it in remembrance of me? So would you just join me? And receiving God's poured, shed blood over our lives. Would you take it? And Jesus, it's going to go and be murdered on the cross and make some proclamations like this as his father forgives them. They don't know what they're doing, but one day they'll get it. And God, would you help them when they get it, Lord? Would when they start to build their whole belief system on that, that my body was broken for them, that my blood was shed for them. And so could we start there? Could we start with the suffering servant of a Savior, which is different than every other worldview out there, who stepped on this planet to make a way where there was no way? And foundationally, could that be where our certainty starts with this son who was, right? Always the plan. He was the Savior. He was fully man. He was fully God. Right, he was sovereign and king over all. He was eternal and he was a holy and he made himself available to us. So could we start with that? Hey Mary, let's start with that. Let's start with what's going to be in this new birth that starts only with the Holy Spirit. In this new birth, can we build this new life and this new foundation which just makes so much sense to me. And so as we sing the song, the song as we close, I just want to read the words to you so that you focus on them so well. And it says this, Jesus, the name above every name right? Yeshua, Savior. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Holy, right? Sinless. There's no one like you. There's none beside you. You open up our eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart. And what's our response? And lead me in love to those around me. And then the bridge, so beautiful. Would this be our prayer today? And this, this confidence for us is, would this be it? I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you. And I, I will not be shaken. Will you join me as we sing?
Well, guys, it's uh, good to be together, even if it's apart uh, virtually, and really proud of you for hanging in there. And a couple things I just want to talk to you about. One, uh, next week, right? So very next weekend, we will be calling kind of an end of service business meeting. That'll be like right here virtually, also in person at 9 uh, a.m. By the way, you guys get the long sermon. You're going, that's really long. There's a, a good solution to that. You come join us uh, live in person. That's kind of the, the abridged version, but that's every Sunday at 9 a.m. for now. But next week, we'll be hosting a real quick couple-minute business meeting where we'll invite all of you to uh, make some nominations for a new elder, com- an elder nominating committee. That would So basically, you're going to nominate people with discernment who are going to help us identify, I think it's four new elders this year. And so, is, would you be thinking and praying about this this week? Next week, you'll be able to text or email it in or uh, send a message via our Facebook or our website, or you can write it in person. So next week, elder nominating committee. And last thing I'll say as we kind of close, I know it's a complicated world, guys, and boy, is it complicated. I know you're getting news about what school's going to be like for your children, and many of you are wondering when we're going to be back in person inside, and boy, are we hearing the pain and confusion and um, angst around all that stuff, and I just would tell you, we, it's not lost on us. We are praying. We are discerning and working on ways to communicate real regularly with you this week um, and in future weeks. So if you haven't already signed up for the newsletter, please, please do that. And we're going to be sending out some, some more robust uh, information at times. And so would you let us know that you would like that? You can either email info at clcfamily.church, fill out the contact form at clcfamily.church, leave your email address in the comments below. We'd be love, love, love to update you on all those things as we sort through this together and want to keep you well apprised to what the, we think the Lord's doing here. Other than that, uh, you have a great week, and we hope to see you back here next week. God bless.